Today, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to be focusing on uh, verses 11 through 13. The book of 1 Corinthians was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was a whole lot of new believers that came from all sorts of different backgrounds. And Paul is trying to instruct them how to do this thing called Christianity. These people who never had any clue that there was freedom from sin and freedom from, from the law and that Jesus had purchased their freedom for them and all they have to do is love Jesus, chase after him and love one another and they were, they were wrestling to figure out what that, what that meant. Right? Have you ever been offered the opportunity for freedom and didn't know which way to go? Some people, when they're offered the opportunity for, for freedom, they just run all over the place, right? I was watching a documentary on, on honey badgers earlier this week, and I love honey badgers. They, they're, they're insane. They're just, an, they're menaces, and, and it was just an absolute blast to watch these honey badgers, but towards the end of the documentary, this guy was releasing a couple of the honey badgers back into the wilderness, and one of the cages opened, and the honey badger darted off and took off all over the place, and you know that honey badger is going to go cause some damage. He's going to create some mayhem, and he's going to destroy a lot of other animals' peace, right? And so that was really amusing to me. In the other cage, they pulled the thing open, and the honey badger just kind of chilled out for a second. It was like, I'm not even sure. Like, what's waiting for me outside of here? You're just going to catch me again, aren't you, you farmer guy? And, and so it took a second. And after, after a couple of seconds, it darted off like the other honey badger. But I realized that sometimes in our soul, we, we tend towards one direction or the other. With our freedom, we either don't enjoy the freedom because we don't believe that it's real or that it's going to last and we stay in the cage. In the other case, we, we experience so much freedom that we just forget that there are certain things that make sense that we shouldn't do. Okay, so, um, so that's kind of one of the things that the Apostle Paul is getting at in this, uh, this book or in this letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. This 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that he wrote. 2 Corinthians is the fourth letter he wrote. We don't know about, we don't have the first or the third, but we know about them. We know they existed. So we call it First and Second Corinthians. If you're looking for it, if you get to 2 Corinthians, you've gone too far. And you can just Google it. But, um... As a side note, don't be afraid of your table of contents, right? That's your friend. It's there, and, and it, it won't, nobody's going to care if you look at it. In effect, if you look at the table of contents, everybody else will be like, man, I should have done that, but it's too late, <laughs> right? So go ahead and look at the table of contents. If you've got a paper Bible, it's helpful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let no one who thinks that he stands, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is God's word to us. Father, help us today to understand your heart towards us, your disposition toward us, to understand our heart's orientation a little bit better so that these two things can come in line with one another according to your good purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. You know how sometimes we've got these sayings that we think are in the Bible but aren't really in the Bible? We've got a lot of them, right? Like God helps those who help themselves. That's a favorite one from the book of Assumptions. And we've got these, we've got these sayings and we, we attribute it to, you know, to God. Sometimes it's a saying that started close to Scripture and you can tell that it's a paraphrase. 
Pride comes before the fall. If you look at it, it's not actually what it says. It's like pride, but the haughty spirit is a result of pride and the haughty spirit results in fall. But you could tell that it started at least with the Bible. And uh, this is one of those passages. So the, the saying that we take from this passage wrongly is God won't give you more than you can bear. That's a lie. <laughs> you don't have to be a Christian for more than like five minutes to realize that God will give you more than you can bear. And in terms of he will stretch you and he will bend you. He'll even break you if he needs to. Because, and God will use everything at his disposal to expose the places in your heart that aren't surrendered to him yet. He will use your boss. He will use your kids. He will use your, your job. He'll use yourself. He'll use a car accident. He will use everything. He'll use the weather, the hot weather, right, Shanique? He'll use <laughs> everything at his disposal to expose the condition of your soul to yourself. So he will, in one way, give you a lot more than you can bear. What this passage is getting at is you're not going to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And there's good news in this that there's always a way out, right? And so, but we're going to talk more about that. I just wanted to highlight how, how funny it is that like we'll grab it and then we're like, that's what this is. Well, no, not exactly what it is because he will wear you out because there's only one God and he is it. And sometimes we think that we're it and he just does that to remind us that we're not really God. And we have need of him and we have need for him. And so um, I want to uh, make one more observation before we jump into the points. Um, And that's that it starts with this statement, or I started this morning with this statement. In verse 11, it kicks off and it says, now these things happened. And anytime you're reading the Bible and you're, and you're five for five, anytime you're reading the Bible at home in a devotional or something else, and you see a phrase and you're, you, you, we need to approach this with curiosity. And so when I started by, when, when I read this, I said, now these things happened to them. I hope that a question arose in your mind. What things is he talking about? That wasn't helpful. He started in the middle of an idea. But oftentimes we start in the middle of an idea when we're reading the Bible. And that's why we don't understand what's happening. So there, there are certain buzzwords, right? Or buzz phrases that we can look at that say, hey, look a little earlier to figure out what's going on. Another one of those phrases is therefore, right? If you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what is it? What is it there for? Right? If you see a but, if you see an and, if you see these kinds of phrases, you need to take that as a cue that, hey, I should probably back up. Sometimes I'll be reading and I'll check out And then I'll continue reading and I'm like, oh, I have no idea what I just read, but I see a connection phrase. So I need to go back and figure out what it is that this is connecting to so I can rightly understand what's next. Make sense? So uh, it starts off, now these things happen. And in verses 1 through 10, we learn about these things that happened. Paul highlights the the Israelites' uh, escape from Egypt how they were delivered from Pharaoh, how Pharaoh's army was destroyed, how there was a cloud that protected them. They were baptized as they passed through the Red Sea. And, and it talked about how, how um, not everybody who was a part of, of that group was really following God and obeying God. There were some in this group who were many in this group, in fact, who were just following the crowd, who were just kind of tagging along, but whose hearts were far from God. Um, these things happened. They were delivered from Egypt. They walked closely with God. 
They were baptized into Moses, it says. These are people who experienced the miracle power of God in their life. They were at that church. They were at that service when the remarkable thing happened that shocked everybody, that stunned everybody, that amazed everyone. Have you ever been at that thing that made the news and then it was talked about and you're like, oh, I was there. That's what these Israelites experienced in God's presence. So these aren't, these aren't people who like heard about church, who heard about a service or heard about an account. They were there to see God do miraculous things in and through them. And, and, um, you know, things like, uh, things like the, the manna that he prepared for them. And he, so God basically brought them bread in the morning and chicken at night. It wasn't chicken, it was quail, but not many of us eat quail. Right, so that was the good news for them. Um, so this, this was the good news, and God was providing for them. But what we learn in this little passage of Scripture is that it wasn't just about them in that moment. As much as this was a historical thing, as much as this actually happened, as much as God actually met them in a significant and supernatural way, it wasn't just about them. The reality is for us is that what we go through isn't just for us. The victory that you experience is not just so that you can have your own victory for yourself. Even the failures that you have isn't just so that you can recover from your own failure. The pain that you experience isn't just so that you can come out of pain, but it's also for the benefit of others. Your victory is also for the benefit of me. It's also for the benefit of Paul. It's also for the benefit of Ben. It's also for the benefit of Megan and Shanique. It's, you know, my victory is your victory, and your victory is my victory. Amen. And in a very real way, our pain is the same. We have a gentleman in our congregation who lost his wife to cancer about a year and a half ago. And I had the opportunity of walking with him and standing with him and fighting with him and crying with him. And watching this man stand up under the grace of God and experience extreme difficulty. And somehow, we were encouraged. Somehow, on Thursday when we got together, he was able to look at me and say, man, I'm glad God brought you into my life. And I was able to say, man, I'm glad that God brought you into my life. And for those of you that have walked with him, you've experienced a similar grace in preparing meals for him and his kids as they were uh, adjusting to their new normal. You experienced a certain grace of God as you cleaned their house and scrubbed toilets and washed sinks and cleaned up dishes. Your victory isn't just for you, nor is your pain. They experienced these things as an example and they were written down and inscribed for our instruction. Sometimes we miss the significance of the Old Testament and even the Bible in general because we look at it from a distance and we separate our, ourselves from the text that we're reading and we don't understand that it is in a very real way a mirror to our own soul. We see the failings of, of certain people in the Old Testament and we're like, man, that guy, he really messed up. And we don't realize that if we're not careful, we're we're doomed, we're bound to make the same mistakes that he made. Maybe we'll make them differently. I know that I probably won't collect an offering of everybody's gold, right, on a Sunday morning. I likely won't melt it down. I likely won't 
form it into a calf. And I likely won't call us all to worship this golden calf. I don't even have the skill sets for that. Right, That might not be what I do, but I'm just as, as liable. I'm just as likely to make an idol out of something. To melt down the things in my life and condense it for my own purposes and shape it into what I want it to be so that I can give it all of my attention, so that I can give it all of my worship. So I might not be tempted to do the same exact thing, but the heart motivation can be exactly the same. You with me? And it's not just because I'm... Jacked up. Well, it is because I'm jacked up. But, but even as I share examples of my own shortcomings and failures and temptations, it's not just mine, but they're yours as well. We have these examples. We have this instruction. And he's saying, look at the scripture. Now, when Paul talks about the scripture, when he talks about the things that happened, he's talking about the Old Testament. Everything to the left of the book of Matthew. Left? Yeah. Everything left of the book of Matthew. Between Genesis and Malachi, you can, you can see the Old Testament. We tend to go, well, I like it when Jesus came on the scene. But when we look in the Old Testament, we realize that Jesus has always been on the scene. His purpose has always been the same. It's not like there was a time before Jesus. I know that's how time used to be kept. It was BC and AD, and now scientists are trying to change it. And, you know, so they don't acknowledge Christ every time they say a date, but the date's still split at the same time. So, whoops. <laughs> Right, so, but, but there's like B.C. and A.D., so we're like before Jesus, and then after he died, as if like that's all that existed, like 30 years or 33 years was all that Christ existed. The reality is there was not a before Christ. There was a before he walked the face of the earth in human flesh, right? And there's after he walked again on it, but now he's ruling from heaven at the right hand of God, and he's, he's alive. So it's not that he's like the year of our Lord, right? So we're, we're there, but he's not gone. He's still, he's still here. He always has been, always will be. That's a sidetrack. I'm sorry. So he's telling them, hey, look through the Bible and you'll see all of these examples and you'll see illustrations. You'll see this all for your instruction. You might not have been enslaved by an Egyptian pharaoh, but you've had an addiction. You've been trapped by fear. You've been trapped by insecurity. And the promise for deliverance is the same for you and me. Jonah got swallowed up by a giant fish and thrown up and vomited onto a beach because he tried to run from God. You might not ever get swallowed up by a gigantic fish, but you may be taken where God wants you to be by unpleasant means and delivered somewhere that you would rather not be through a means that you would rather not be delivered so that God can accomplish something in you and through you. No, I had to build an ark to be delivered from the judgment of God for the wickedness that had spread so rampant on the earth. You don't have to build an ark today, but our ark is Jesus Christ. And we need to find ourselves in the ark of Christ in order to be delivered from the coming judgment. I know we don't talk about judgment a lot, so if you're, if you're new here, it's like, oh, is this a judgment church? Yeah, we believe in it. We need, that's not the most important thing, and we'll talk about the most important thing in just a minute. You probably won't get thrown into a furnace for praying to God. Especially if you do one of those quiet Christian prayers like, I was just praying in my heart because God understands my heart. You'll never get thrown in for a furnace there because it's a good quiet Christian prayer. Like, I pray in my prayer closet. But maybe, maybe you won't be told to bow down to something in your workplace, but you will, your integrity will be challenged. 
You'll be asked to lie. You'll be asked to cheat. You might have to take a stand for Jesus. And this stand for Jesus might not get, throw, get you thrown into a furnace where people are being destroyed and consumed, but it might put you in the hot seat. For Job, I mean, he had all of his ox and donkeys and servants killed. The sheep and the servants tending them were killed. His camels were stolen and his servants that were tending them were killed. His seven sons and three daughters were killed. As the brother's house fell on them, and Job was covered with hideous boils and festering sores. You might not experience any of those things. But you very well may experience deep loss, extreme sorrow, pain, and loneliness. So we can identify if we read the Old Testament well with every single one of these stories in one way or another. And we're not always the victorious one as we do it. And that's the warning that we find in this. Now, don't worry, I'm not just, I'm, it's not all bad, right? I just, it, it's the, in this, nested in this is, a, is an undertone of grace that plays its way out. And that, that grace expressed as God's purposes and God's plan for us. His desire for us for freedom, his desire for us for life. A desire that, that didn't just stop with a thought. You know, like, you know, sometimes we're, we, feel, we think that compassion, we're like, oh, I felt bad for them. Let me put a sad face on this Facebook post. And I, I've expressed compassion. And, you know, I've, <laughs> I've done my due diligence. I'm a good Christian. I really identified sadly with the right thing. And, you know, that's a really good news. And I'm glad that person's building houses for poor people. I'm going to like that and do my Christian duty. Maybe even a smiley face if I feel particularly moved. God's compassion didn't, didn't stop with us with a smiley face or a sad face, but God's compassion for us extended all the way to the action of giving his son as a ransom for us. And I know I'm using a lot of big ideas and I'm, I'm referencing a lot of stories, and, but, I, but, I, but I hope what you're starting to feel and see is God's plan and God's purpose through it all. And especially in this first part that I've been talking about, you see God's plan and purpose for us with the Old Testament. Right, the whole Bible, the whole canon of Scripture that we can look at and be encouraged and inspired by. In light of these examples, now, now I gave extra examples. Paul was speaking specifically about as the, as the Israelites came out of Egypt. But in light of this example of the people being coming out of Egypt, he warns the people. Paul says, be careful about thinking that you're beyond the temptation to, to sin. Be careful that you think that just because God has delivered you and God has saved you, that you'll never fall. That you're somehow in this special territory of, of person who's, who's, who's done changing. Now, for those of you who have been walking with Jesus for any length of time, really, you know, the first 18 months of our Christian life are exciting and vibrant. And it's like, yeah, I'll give that away. Yeah, I'll stop smoking. Yeah, I'll stop drinking on my own. Oh, yeah, I'll hide the, like, I'll get rid of the bottle. Oh, sure, I'll stop cussing out loud. <laughs> out loud. And, <laughs> you know, and we're like, let me give away all these things. Sure, I'll get out of this destructive relationship. Yeah, and it's, it's like a joyful thing, right? And then we get rid of all the big lumps in the garden, all the big rocks, all the big boulders. And we're like, all right, I'm good. Nobody sees me get drunk anymore. Nobody sees me using. Nobody hears me cussing my boss out in my, in my mind, in my heart. That's not me. That's, 
because Pastor Brett, it, it, it's different. I wouldn't say that. I'm on a podcast. <laughs> that was for anybody in here who's ever had a bad boss. Right? They don't see this happening. They don't see the expression of this. They don't, so, so I'm cleaned up. I'm better than. I'm free of these things. I don't, I don't struggle with those things anymore. And Paul's saying, be careful. Because there were some people who saw some of the mightiest miracles that have ever occurred on the face of this planet. And still their hearts were far from God. We don't have to look beyond beyond the lives of the most significant Bible characters that we know. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you, you've probably heard of King David. When he stumbled into sin with Bathsheba, right? We're, we're kind of aware of that. We're aware of some of the biggest sins that have occurred. And, and we don't have to look past that. I'm no David. So that's a great warning for me. What's interesting about the choice that, that Paul made in his illustration is that he chose the everyday person. We don't have to be a David or a Paul or a Peter or a well-known figurehead. You don't have to have the big name or the big, big experience to risk becoming prideful in your heart and exposing yourself to the temptations of sin beyond that which God would allow in your life. Now, this sounds like bad news, right? It sounds a little grumpy so far. But we're not without hope. I've already highlighted the fact that God has promised to provide a way. This might sound like a message about sin. Because I've talked about it a lot. I like sin. I've talked a lot about the sin. I've talked a lot about the struggle. I've talked a lot about the pain. I've talked a lot about these things, but that's not what this message is about. What this message is about, what this passage is about, is about the faithfulness of God. That through all the struggle, through all the the straying of our heart, through all the, the rejection of his love, the rejection of his plan, the rejection of his purpose, through all of these things, God has remained faithful the entire time. God's love has remained steadfast. His power has remained uh, with, without any hindrance, without any hint of, of loss of strength or effectiveness. God has remained faithful and God does remain faithful. Paul tells Timothy, uh, I, Paul, Timothy is a, a young pastor and you know, in he's pastoring this church and, and Paul is discipling. Paul's like a spiritual father to him and Paul's like, hey, Timothy, God remains faithful even when we remain faithless because he cannot deny himself. Such is the love of God, such is the faithfulness of God that even when we're not faithful, he remains faithful. Isn't that amazing? Our, thank you. Who who said amen? Who was that? I love you. Just keep that coming. Everybody's quiet today. It's like nap time. I know it's warm. Is it warm? It's hot up here. I want to nap. God remains faithful. I distracted myself with a nap comment. It is. It's about God's faithfulness, Shanique. That's good. This is what I was going to say. My attention span's about this long, clearly. 
which is kind of tied to this next idea that my love is about this long too. My compassion's about this far. My faithfulness is about this far. Right? We run out as soon as the people around us run out. Like, I was in a good mood until I saw you, and now everything's wrong. Well, you weren't, you weren't really in a good mood. I loved you until you crossed me. I forgave you until you, you know, messed up again. You know, we got boundaries. We, sometimes we plan our boundaries. We're like, I'm going to go into this meeting, and I'm going to extend my forgiveness. But if they do this, this, or this, I'm snatching back my forgiveness. You know, our contracts, like, the whole idea of, like, I, I, so marriage is a covenant between God and man and his wife and God and each other. Right? So, like, it is a, it is a three-chord strand. It is a binding life agreement. Baby, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. God, I love you, and I, I'm not going anywhere, and the other way, right? But, but now we, we, we think of it in terms of contracts. It's like, oh, I'm just going to see how it goes. You know, because I'm a lot better than she is. And I'm afraid she might get weird. So we'll just keep our finances separate and we'll keep these things separate and we'll, we'll just kind of plan for divorce late, just in case. Right? And I'm not knocking anybody who's, who's been divorced or, or, or anything else, but what I'm saying is this is God's plan or purpose. This is his desire for us. That we would be in a covenant relationship where there's complete freedom to become who God wants us to become. Even in the midst of temptation, God creates a way out. Now, here's the most humbling thing about sin is that I want to do it. It's like we want to do it. And in that God, it exposes our hearts to ourselves. We'd love to blame God for allowing the sin to tempt us. But it's us who want it. You know, when I had that addiction to nachos that I shared with you all, Many a times. I, it was bad, y'all. I was eating nachos like every day. Sometimes more than once a day. What a weird thing to be addicted to, but it was clean. Right? Nobody was asking that in accountability questions. Have you looked at anything online? No. Don't ask about nachos. <laughs> right? Nobody asked me about my nacho addiction and these accountability questions. So it was safe. It was clean. And if I told somebody like, man, I'm addicted to nachos, it's like, ha, ha. But I was going to him for comfort. I was going to it for escape. And so often we go to these things. So often we sin because we're trying to escape and to find comfort. It's probably not nachos for you. But we've all got these places that we try and escape to. Sometimes we hide in our work. Sometimes we hide in food. Sometimes we hide in drugs or alcohol. Sometimes we hide in a relationship. Sometimes that's a healthy relationship. Sometimes we even hide in bad relationships. Because at least we know what we're going to get. 
And the faithfulness of God is this. That where we're tempted to sin and where we're tempted to escape to, God himself wants to be the place to which and to whom we escape. That's the problem with all of this stuff. That's the problem that God is saying. He's like, he's like, I delivered these people. It was miraculous. It was amazing. This happened. They were there, but they, their hearts were far from me. And they found their comfort. They found their identity. They found their purpose. And they worshiped other things, other gods. Their hearts strayed from me. And so in this, he's calling us to find our comfort, to find our hope, to find our purpose, to find our meaning in him and in him alone. And he's faithful to provide a way out. And that way out is himself. Sometimes the way out is just going to be shutting your computer and walking out the door. If you don't have a laptop, just hit that power button. That one we used to reset, just hold it down and walk out. You don't even have to turn it out. Just walk out. Sometimes the way out is to call a friend and say, hey, I really want to sin right now. Fill in the blank. I really want to sin right now. I really want to get drunk. I really want to do drugs. I really want to, I really want to, you know, call that person, right? That side person. Clear? (laughs) I don't want to leave any ambiguity, but I also know that it's being podcasted. (laughs) I really want to do this. I really want to do this right now. I really want to jump headlong into sin. That's the, the honest statement. What we say is, I'm struggling. (laughs) And we wait for somebody to ask us. So instead of thinking, oh man, I'm the only one who feels this way. I'm the only one that needs a way out. We can acknowledge. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, I told you I love sin. It's that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That to me is wonderful news. Because it levels the playing field. I'm like, I don't have to wonder who sinned or who hasn't sinned. It's all of us. You sinned. I sinned. Thank you for ain't many. Confidence. You were confident when you were sinning. (laughs) Anyway, awkward. Now God is faithful. And he is our way out. In Jesus Christ. God expressed his love for us and made it possible for us to be set free from everything that would otherwise entangle us. He is our great escape.